pretty amazing thing that God does for us. Uh, the theological term is God accommodates uh, himself to us. And the, the idea is God is so great, so extreme, so beyond words, that when he then says things to us like, I'm a good shepherd, that's God being really accommodating to us. That's God saying, you don't get me, but you get a shepherd. Or when God says, I'm a loving father, God's so much more than that, but it's him accommodating us and saying, oh, okay, you can understand father. And so all of these words that we use for God, I think sometimes we lock into them like they sum up or they're the totality of God, and they're, they're not. They're, they, even when we say God's a good shepherd, that's a good and true thing to say. Jesus himself gave us permission to call him that. It, what, what we really are saying is, he's so big, but there's this one slice of him that's kind of like a shepherd, is kind of what that means. Uh, and and that, that goes all the way to when God says he's good. Our human definition of good is, is very lacking when it comes to the fullness of what that means for God. Uh, and, and that's one of the reasons why I love the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because what we do as human beings, the, 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 the practice that religion has given us for thousands of years is, so we don't try to summarize God in one word. We just use lots and lots and lots and lots of words. And we say, okay, he's like a lord. He's also like a king. He's also like a savior. He's also like a shepherd. And, and we just kind of keep piling on the words. And then we say, when you get all of those words, you're still kind of getting a glimpse of who God is. Uh, and, and that's something I, I want us to remember because everything we do, it's going to be at, at best a, a slice of God. Uh, and if you, if you haven't known, noticed this before, the verses of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, each verse is a different title of God. And so if you sang all seven verses of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, you would sing seven different titles for Jesus. And the idea is that with all seven, you're finally getting a picture of who Jesus is because otherwise, he's ineffable. Otherwise, words cannot describe. Uh, so we, we've talked uh, throughout this series, we've looked at the word Emmanuel and what that means. We've talked about him being a ransom. Uh, last week we talked about the key of, of David and what, is, what does that mean? Uh, and so today uh, we, we get to, uh, it's depending on which order you're doing it, it's the sixth verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, it's the verse that says, O come thou day spring. O come thou day spring, which is an odd word. Uh, I think sometimes we sing things in church and we just don't even you know, pay that much attention. We're like, ah, oh, whatever, it's a thing you sing in church. And really, until I, I sat down to, to prep for, for the message tonight, I hadn't really thought about, that's a weird word. I, I don't know that we use that word in any other context than this song. Uh, I, there's only one context I know of that word. Uh, anyone else know it? There's a company. Yeah. It's, a, it's a Christian greeting card company called Dayspring. And uh, and they got it from the same place that the psalm did. But other than that, it's not like this is something we use regularly. Other words that we've talked about, key we use, ransom we use somewhat. Uh, uh, there are other words that we use. King is a word. Dayspring. It's a, it's a really odd term and, and one that we probably don't slow down and think, what, what is it actually saying? What are we declaring about who Jesus is when we say he is a dayspring? So that's what we're going to look at. 
tonight. Uh, and so it comes from uh, all of the lines in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Every title of Jesus comes from a scripture passage. And this one is no different. Uh, it's from a, a prophecy about Jesus. But interestingly, it's not from uh, directly from an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus. Most of the prophecies we look at are from Isaiah or, or Habakkuk or Malachi, these you know, hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus. Uh, this prophecy is from about three months before Jesus. Uh, because specifically, it's a prophecy that John the Baptist's father spoke over John the Baptist about three months before Jesus was born. Uh, so it's from Luke chapter one, which is part of the Christmas story. So he's cutting it a little close uh, on his prophecies. Uh, and so I wanna just show you where that word day spring comes from. It comes from Luke chapter one, uh, verses 76 or 79. You already heard it, so I'm not gonna read it to you again, but do you guys all see where the word day spring is in Luke chapter one? You see where it is? It's not in Luke chapter one. So my bad. Um, it is in Luke chapter one. Uh, this is where I, I get a chance to, to geek out about something I don't usually get to talk about. People often ask me what the best translation of the Bible is. Uh, and my answer is I don't have one, I have three. There are, I think, three translations that are my personal favorites, but you have to use them all for different reasons. Uh, so the NIV is what we just generally use here at church. Just if, if we don't have another reason to use something different, we use the NIV. But my personal favorite uh, translation for readability is the New Living Translation. I, I find that one the most accessible, the easiest to understand. So let's look, look at Luke chapter 1, verse 78 in the NLT. Maybe that'll help. So the NLT says, Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us. Uh, and so first of all, notice that that's really clear but there's still no, still no day spring, all right? Uh, my second favorite translation uh, is the New American Standard Bible, uh, and that is the most literal translation. They, they worked very hard. If the Hebrew word meant a thing, then that's what they said. Now, what ends up happening is it's a pain in the neck to read. So, so I don't recommend it if you're just looking for a translation to just read for fun, it's not that great. If you really wanna get a sense of what the original languages were saying, how they were constructed, what the specific word was, NASB is my favorite. So let's try 178 in, in the NASB. So because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. So you see how it's a little more awkwardly phrased, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. That's the, what the original Greek uh, would have said, uh, and that's how the NASB translates it, but we, we still don't have a day spring, uh, which is why we have to go to my third favorite translation, which believe it or not, is the King James Version. And that's the one you go to if you want poetry. If you want the most beautiful, flowery language of scripture, you go to King James. No one has ever beat it for poetry. What does King James say? Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby... There it is, the day spring. It's gotta go all the way back to King James, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. And that's where O Come, O Come, Emmanuel gets its line, but it's a little buried uh, because uh, it's an unusual word. It's a word that we don't use anymore, and that's why, rightly so, the NLT, the NIV, the NASB, they don't translate it that way because no one in English would know what that means. But it's a beautiful word. It's a really powerful word. It's one I'm so glad has stuck around if only through the words of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. But it still begs the point then, what exactly does that mean? Like, What is the day spring 
mean? And, and that's why I wanted to put all those other verses up, or translations up there with it because you actually see what it's saying. It's talking about the morning light, the sunrise. And, and now it makes sense, day, spring, the, the thing from which springs the day, the dawn is what they're describing. And so this is the title of Jesus uh, that is in this verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. He is the dawn, the rising sun. It's a really beautiful thing to call Jesus and not one we use very often. I think we're more comfortable with Lord, King, Savior. Those are relatively normal titles. I think we'd feel weird talking about Jesus as the rising sun in, in that same way. And yet, it's just as legitimate a title. It's one more word that we can add to the soup to try to help people understand the goodness of God. It's the rising sun is one of the, the roles and titles of Jesus. And it's not an accident that Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, gave this title to Jesus a few months before he was born. You see, Zechariah was a lifelong priest, a man who knew the scriptures incredibly well. And so he knew what it, what it meant, what it implied when the angel told him that he, was gonna, he and Elizabeth were going to give birth to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was going to prepare the way for a savior. Zechariah, he knew all those prophecies. And so when he referred to the not quite yet born Jesus as the day spring, the rising sun, Zechariah was himself quoting a prophecy from Isaiah. And so as we grapple with what it means that Jesus is a rising sun, a, a day spring, uh, let's go back and look at that passage in Isaiah that Zechariah was clearly intentionally quoting because there's something pretty powerful and important. So Isaiah chapter nine. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. You see, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. There's that word again, that concept that this dawning light, this great light, we're not talking stars, we're not talking moon, we're talking the great light, the sun, which takes people out of the darkness of the night that they were in. And Isaiah is not talking about any just random old sunrise. He's not saying, isn't it great in the morning that the sun comes up? Isn't that a wonderful thing? He's describing something far more stark and far more amazing. In fact, he goes on to say, what, what does he mean by this great light, this light that's dawning on people who have been in darkness? Look at the language, look at the terminology that Isaiah uses to describe these people. He says, you have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. Uh, they rejoice before you the same way that people rejoice at the harvest, the same way that warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. And I know you're reading ahead, but, but notice the, the contrast here. These last few verses are describing war and the grief and the pain and, and the devastation of death and, and misery and violence. That's what it's describing. And then with no warning, it turns in a verse to uh, 
verse 6, which you all are probably quite familiar with. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And suddenly we're right back into familiar Christmas territory. That's Handel's Messiah. It's from Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. But notice what an odd and unexpected thing it is that Isaiah is talking about warfare. He's talking about a battle that's so brutal it lasted all night and, and there's bodies strewn on the field and the people are in darkness and misery and it's the dawn of the sun after a night of battle and death. That's the kind of light that Isaiah is talking about. Not just your regular old sunrise, not just, oh, it's another day. The, the, the day that comes when all hope is lost, when, when the brutality, the misery, the suffering is at its peak, we know that the night must end and that the sun will rise. And when it rises, that's what brings the rejoicing to all the people. That's the promise that God makes to his hurting followers is that this night no matter how long it seems, no matter how painful it's been, it will end and the sun will rise and you will no longer be in darkness, but you will go forth in joy and victory. We have a God who brings light to a dark and scary world. And he was prophesied for a thousand years before his birth, for three months before his birth, that this was one of his roles. This is one of his titles. This is one of the things that, that our baby born in a manger would accomplish on our behalf. But there's one more thing. One more thing I want to say about this word dayspring, this rising sun. It is the hope of the, of the morning sun that comes after a night of despair. There's one more thing that Isaiah clearly means by this wording, what, what Zechariah clearly meant uh, as well. Uh, and so I, I want to uh, go back and look at O Come, O Come, Emmanuel and remind you that that, that's a, that was originally written in Latin. And so we, we then translate it into English and we get all these things. And most of the translations will, will make sense to you. They'll look pretty straightforward. But this one is an interesting one. I want you to, to look at the verses. So uh, jump ahead one more for me. And so here are the various verses uh, of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That, that when we talk about being the ransom, the Latin was redemptor. Or the root of Jesse, the, the Latin was radix. Jesse, that's one of my favorite Latin words, radix. Uh, the key of David was the clavis David. Clavis means key. But notice the word that we translate dayspring in Latin. It's Orions, Orions. And as you guys know, English is a Latin-derived language, which means you know that word. We don't put an S on the end of it. We put a T on the end, but we have that exact same word in English. Here's how you'd actually more literally translate that. Orient. That word that we have, Orient, is the word that got translated dayspring because... Isaiah didn't just mean, and Zechariah didn't just mean uh, a sunrise. They meant something even more profound. And that word orient is a wonderful word uh, because we mostly these days think of it as referring to an area of Asia, right? The, the, the orient. 
That's not its original sense. Its original sense is it's the, the way that you orient yourself in life on a map. Uh, if you're like trying to follow a map, you have to orient yourself. And in our culture, when you orient yourself, what is the most important direction? North, right? Our compasses point north. If you're at sea and you're lost, you try to find the, the north star. Our maps are oriented so that north is on top. That is not how it was in biblical times. North was not the top of the maps. Uh, I actually went to Israel a few years ago, and it's the most bizarre thing because all of their maps are off by 90 degrees from the way I think of a map. Because you know which direction is at the top of a map in biblical culture? East. East. The Latin word for east is orient. The Greek word that Zechariah spoke over John the Baptist is Anatole, and that means east. It also means sunrise, because where does the sun rise? But in the east. And so the picture is not just that the darkness is going to end and the day will come. The picture is not only that, we orient towards where the day will come that we orient ourselves by the rising sun. The top of our map isn't the North Star, it's the sun rising in the east. And how do we orient ourselves at Christmas and all other times is by the rising sun of Jesus Christ. He's not only the light that chases away the darkness, he's the orienting navigator of our lives. And that our lives are are meant to be built east-facing, meant to be uh, derived from not just a literal rising sun that helps us get our bearings, but the metaphorical rising sun that is Jesus Christ, who chases away the darkness and orients our lives. And I've never seen that concept uh, explained so succinctly uh, as C.S. Lewis uh, summarizes it in his book, Mere Christianity. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. We cannot describe the goodness of Jesus Christ. One or two words don't even begin to do him justice. And even with dozens of words and titles at our fingertips, we we barely scratch the surface of who Jesus is. But here tonight on this last week of Advent, as we're a few short days away from, from Jesus choosing to become a human being, in a manger, ready to live this mortal life with us. This is part of what we can cling to in our own hearts, that Jesus is our rising sun. He chases away our darkness and brings us light, but not only that, he is the light by which everything else in our life makes sense. The light by which we orient our values, our postures, our direction, and that's what it means that Jesus Christ is our dayspring. Let's stand and pray together. Lord God, I thank you that you have just given us glimpses of your posture and your character towards us. That by giving us these words, these words that don't begin to capture the fullness of who you are, we we at least get a tiniest bit of understanding of the goodness of your son, Jesus. And so Lord, I thank you today that he is not just our savior, our God with us, our ransom, our key of David, 
but that he is our day spring, our rising sun. Lord, I pray that we would orient our lives by the sun and the light of Jesus Christ, that it would guide us and shape us, that it would illuminate not only the path we need to go, but everything else around us as we put our trust and hope in the Savior of the world. So in peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the church of God and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. For all servants of the church and for all people, let us pray to the Lord. For our public servants, for the government and those who protect us, that they may be upheld and strengthened in every good deed, let us pray to the Lord. For those who work to bring peace, justice, health, and protection in this and every place, let us pray to the Lord. For those who bring offerings, those who do good works in this congregation, those who toil, those who sing, and all the people here present who await for the Lord, great and abundant in mercy, let us pray to the Lord. For our deliverance from all affliction, wrath, danger, need, and darkness, let us pray to the Lord. And Lord, here now in trust of your promises, in a belief that your character has been consistent from the beginning of time uh, to the future of the second coming, that as we wait in Advent for the coming of the rising sun, the day spring that we need in darkness, Lord, we now lift up our prayers in humble hope and trust. And we pray to you using the words that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, just a couple of things uh, before you go. First is, uh, is a reminder that worship is more than just singing. Worship is the gathering together, the being generous of our tithes and offerings, the prayers of a community, and finally, the fellowship of the saints. And so I encourage you as you go back into your week uh, not to rush too quickly back out into the night, but take a moment to say hi, to pass the peace, to greet someone uh, in the name and the hope of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, and let that be a part of your worship tonight. Uh, And secondly, I want to invite you, if you're not already planning on coming, you should come uh, to Christmas Eve or Christmas Day service with us. Uh, It's a beautiful time uh, to celebrate uh, and a sneak peek for you faithful that come on on Wednesdays. You get advance notice that no one else gets. For the first time in about 20 years, uh, we'll be having a fully candlelit Christmas Eve service. Uh, So everyone gets a candle and we get to do it the the traditional way that we haven't been able to do for a long time. Uh, So come and, and get to just 
be part of that joyful practice with us. Uh, if you're coming to one of the Christmas Eve services, it's really helpful if you make a reservation. It just helps guarantee that there's plenty of space for everyone. Uh, and Christmas Day, no reservations needed. Uh, <laughs> it's just whoever wants to show up. Uh, but uh, in all of it, uh, I pray that the joy, the hope, the, the glorious light of the day spring rising sun uh, would illuminate your days from now until Christmas Day itself. And so may the love of God our Father, the grace of Jesus Christ the Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and always. Amen.